Heavenly Father, Lord, I lift up to you all those who are sick, Lord, those that need healing. Lord, I just pray that you would put your hand upon them and heal them, Jesus, and help their families who who are being with them and by their side. And um, Lord, I pray that you bring them comfort and rest, Jesus. So we just ask for your healing across Grant County as we're experiencing um, this wave of illness. And um, I ask that you would just bring glory to your name through the healing that you will do, Jesus. Lord, and I pray that you would just um, open our hearts to this message this morning that you have for us, Jesus. God, help us to think about how you can change our hearts and our lives through your word this morning. Amen. So I have had a sick family. Both of my little girls have 102 temperatures for like the last few days. So one had RSV and she got better and then the next one got the flu. And then a few days later, the other one got the flu. And then Monday, my husband got a tickle. Ladies, when your husband says they have a tickle, there should be warning bells going off in your head. Ladies, okay. And it was time to implement step one of the six-step program of the man cold plan, okay? So what you do is you go down to Rite Aid and you buy every kind of cold medicine, cough syrup, cough drops, everything you can find. And then you get yourself down that aisle with the chocolate and you buy yourself a bag of Dove. And you, because those have little encouraging messages. And girl, you're going to need those encouraging messages all week to make it through the bedlam that's happening upon your house, Okay. And then you need to go and get some stuff for the soup that you're going to have to make him. All the right stuff for that chicken noodle soup. And if he tells you it's not right, then you call his mama and you find out what's in it to make it right. Okay? Or if you're like me and his mama lives down the street, she just brings it for you. So that was my house this week. Matt is also sick and is not here. Um, and we, there's this joke that says, The Lord didn't make men the ones that have babies. Because he knew how they would handle a cold. And it would be the end of our species. Okay. So we love you. We love you, men. I love my husband. I'm super thankful for him. To his credit, he's like, you know what? It's it's a hereditary thing. He's like, my dad always gets sick. I always get sick. It's just a family thing. And so (laughs) in looking at families, there's actually... How many of you have heard of Ancestry DNA or like 23andMe where you can do that. I've done that. It's pretty fun. Well, they have little things now where you can see, like, are you more susceptible to colds and different things? Um, But it's interesting because Ancestry DNA and all those sites have really exploded in the last 10 years with people wanting to know their history and their background and all about their family. And I found out some pretty cool things from mine, and I really enjoyed sitting around and listening to the stories of my family and where we'd come from. In fact, my great-great-grandfather ran the ferry down at Crescent Bar. Okay, so I have, and then his wife was actually a mail-order bride from kind of a wealthy family in, the, in uh, like Chicago, I believe. And she uh, had different suitors that had been writing letters to her, and she answered his and thought, well, that sounds like the guy I want to marry, and came over here, and he had a house with dirt floors, and that was a shock to a city lady, let me tell you what. But she adapted, and there's been plays and everything about her. So my family history is very steep in the Columbia Basin. And so today, um, we're going to be talking about Joseph, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And so it's interesting to hear about the people we come from, 
Um, we hear about the hard times, the good times, the perseverance that they had to get where they are, and about our family heroes. And sometimes we hear about some skeletons in the closet. Um, in Ancestry DNA, I've had some people that found out they had another sibling that was that they didn't know about. That happens quite a bit. Um, but in these discussions, we learn much about what the actions of our ancestors mean in our lives today. And we can learn a lot about our own family tree. And so today we're going to take a look at part of Jesus' family tree. Um, so I'm going to start with reading Matthew 1, 18 through 25. It's up on the screen, but I'm going to read it out of my Bible. It's the NLT version here. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to, make, to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So we know that Jesus was divinely conceived, but God chose Joseph to be his earthly parent. Since this is the Christmas season, we want to follow the events that led to the birth of Jesus. Just like we can learn from our own family tree, there's much to learn about God through the family tree of Jesus. Let's see what we can learn from this God-chosen man, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph. So the first thing we know is that Joseph, is he was a carpenter, and it tells us that in Matthew 13, 55. It says, then they scoffed, he is just the carpenter's son, and we know his mother Mary. Okay, so from that, we know that he was a carpenter. He wasn't a high-profile guy, okay? He probably wasn't one who stood out in a crowd. Um, he was a simple man making a living, but he knew what hard work was. He earned his living through working with his hands. The second thing we know is that he lived in Nazareth in Galilee. It tells us that in Luke 2.4. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth wasn't a metropolitan area. It was small, a little town in a hilly, hilly place way away from anything big. Okay, it was like 90 to 100 miles away from Jerusalem, which like back then was like a thousand miles. Not really, but you know, we have the technology and the transportation to get us places quickly, but they didn't. So it was a really long ways to get to the closest big city. Joseph basically was just a hard-working, small-town man. So that's what we know about him so far. And then the other thing we know is he's just a man. Okay? In Matthew 1.19, in our scriptures for today, it tells us that Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. Okay? He's just a man, just an ordinary guy. And it also tells us that he was a good man. He was a good, God-fearing man. The fact that they say that, we can infer that he's righteous, that he knows the word of God. He's been chosen. He wasn't perfect by any means. None of us are. 
and he didn't really stand out, but he wasn't bad either. He just lived a good, clean life. The other thing we know is that he was engaged to Mary, and it tells us that in verse 18 and 19 as well. In our passage, Joseph was a husband-to-be. He was probably excited. How many of you can remember back to your wedding day? Probably a little bit excited, probably nervous. He's a young guy. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm you know, about ready to get married. I'm going to have a family. His life is looking up. It's looking up. But then he suffered a huge blow. Okay. In verses 18 to 19, it says, um, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to... Oh, let's see. Sorry. This is really small. I need a bigger Bible, you guys, or some glasses. I'm getting old. This is how Joseph, uh, Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So things are looking up. He's about to get married. And then he finds out that his future bride-to-be is pregnant. Boom. I can imagine that was devastating news. That would be a huge deal back in that culture. And who knows how many nights, because it doesn't say when, how long it was between when Mary found out. Because Mary already knew. We have hindsight of knowing the Christmas story and knowing what happened. But here's this guy who's about to get married, and he doesn't know, and then he finds out. Okay. And between that time when she found out and when he found out, he was probably spending a lot of time talking to God, trying to figure out, Lord, what do I do? That was a big thing in that culture. The breaking of a betrothal was worse than breaking a business contract. And he had two options, which it tells us in Scripture. He could publicly shame her, which is the one that was by the law that he could do, and probably most of his friends and family were encouraging him to do. And that would mean she would be brought before religious authorities. There could potentially be forfeiture of her dowry, which um, he had to pay to her father. And there's a possible stoning. Or the other option is to break off the engagement privately, to send her and the baby away. But for him, that would mean embarrassment in his community, questioning from friends and family, like, what happened? Why did you do this for the rest of his life? But he knew it would be what's best for Mary and the baby, and that's what he chose to do. Joseph chose this because he was committing, committed to following the law and doing it in the most compassionate way possible. And I think that tells us a lot about the character of who he was. But then, God is so awesome, and he revealed his, his plan to him in verses 20 through 23. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um, just that part where the angel addresses him as Joseph, son of David. God had picked him, a faithful son of David, and the only other person in the New Testament referred to as a son of David is Jesus. This reminds Joseph of his royal lineage. The son of a carpenter, that Jesus is going to be born, the son of a carpenter from Nazareth, and he's no ordinary man, but a king in the line of David, a fulfillment of God's promise. The Lord had revealed to Joseph that Mary's pregnancy 
is one like never before and never since. God tells Joseph not to be afraid and to marry her, that he's going to be a part of something amazing and important. And he was going to be the earthly father of the most important person ever to live. The next thing is that Joseph obeyed the Lord. Um, it says when he woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. How many of you, God has given you something to do to be obedient on, and you're like, well, I don't know, or you think about it for a while, or you drag your feet. I've done that before for sure. There's biblical examples. Look at Jonah. God asked him to do something. What does he do? He hightails it as far away as he possibly can. But Joseph, it says he did as the Lord commanded. It doesn't say he questioned God and hemmed and hawed. No, he did it. He was faithfully obedient, and that is just so amazing. Here was the woman he was going to marry and pregnant, and God said, it's okay. Well, we know that Joseph trusted the word of the Lord, and he married Mary, and that he got to see the Messiah born and to raise him because of his obedience. The other thing we know is that Joseph acted as the father of Jesus. The Bible tells us he carried Jesus to the temple on the eighth day, as a father was to do. He, he had the job of naming Jesus, too. The angel of the Lord told him to do that. That implies stewardship of something. In Genesis, where God gives Adam the job of naming all the animals, that implies stewardship. So God is saying, here's my son whom I love, and I want you to name him. So he was a steward of Jesus. That's so cool. We know that Joseph continued to be obedient to God and listen. Um, he took his family to Egypt to save Jesus from Herod in Matthew 2. He took him to Nazareth and raised him as his own. He taught Jesus his own trade as a carpenter. He was concerned for his well-being. And he treated Jesus as if he were his own son. Finally, you know, Joseph faded into obscurity. We don't really hear much about him. Later on, after the temple episode, we don't hear from him again. No one knows for sure what happened to him. Um, here was this great righteous man. He was a man who trusted God and walked by faith. And now he disappears into obscurity. But what can we learn from the life of Joseph? Here's the first point. There is a blessing in living a righteous life. Joseph was just a man. He didn't get caught up in the world or the way of life. He lived a good, godly life. Because of his character, God chose to use him. Most of us won't be recognized outside of our friends and family unless you're an influencer on Instagram. We have any of those in here? All right. Nope. All right. Darn, I was really hoping for an autograph. Um, <laughs> this world is tugging us all different directions. We're constantly getting pulled to try and be out of our godly life. There's so many things tempting us. It's a struggle sometimes to live that good, godly life. And sometimes it might not feel like it's worth it. It's hard. But character is everything to God. The blessings may not be material or physical blessings, but God takes care of his own. We can learn from Joseph that there is a blessing in living a good, godly life. The second thing is God can use anybody that will allow him to. Joseph was just a carpenter. He was from a small backwater town in an out-of-the-way place. 
kind of reminds me of Ephrata. You know, we're kind of out here in the middle of nowhere, and maybe sometimes you feel like, I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a teacher. I'm just whatever it is here in Ephrata. Nobody's going to know about me. How's God going to use me? But he does. What you do or where you live is not part of the formula. God is looking for people who make themselves available to him. Joseph wasn't high society and he wasn't a rocket scientist, but he allowed God to use him. Don't worry about whether God can use you. Just make yourself available to him and watch him do the work. We can learn from Joseph that God will use anyone who will allow him to. The next point is being in God's will brings a crisis of belief. Joseph had a crisis for sure. Okay. Finds out his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. That's a big crisis. Would he carry out his own plan to try and fix it, or would he follow God's plan? Unfortunately, I think I'm getting better at this through prayer and because of God, but a lot of times when there's a crisis, I try to fix it myself first. How many of you are like, oh, that sounds like me? So you totally try and fix it yourself first, and then it doesn't work. Like, this isn't working, or I'm so tired, or I'm stressed out, or I have anxiety because you're trying to fix all the things yourself first. You can't do it. It has to be God. In experiencing God, Henry Blackaby said that God's call always brings a crisis of belief. That means that God's call will force you to move beyond yourself. There are probably people here this morning who are in a crisis of belief right now. God's call is a challenge to the comfort zone you've built up around yourself. But remember, it's God's calling. He's never made a mistake, and he always prepares a way for those he calls. This is the only life you've got and the only chance in the world to be a called person of God. Trust in God and go with him. The next point is being in God's will calls for obedience. Joseph obeyed God and entered into his will. What an amazing legacy he left because he was obedient to God. And what a miraculous thing he was invited to participate in because of that obedience. Once you break through your crisis of belief, you have to obey to move forward. How many people in here are stuck in a rut and you just feel like you're not moving forward because you're refusing to obey? I've been there. I'm a kid that grew up in the church, and I just kind of got stuck in this rut because I was afraid to move forward in certain things in ministry. And I just wasn't. I kind of stayed stagnant. Okay, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. Maybe God's asking you to stop buying a coffee every day because that money could be spent for something else, maybe putting it towards a tithe or whatever. It could be something simple. It doesn't have to be this huge thing, but there could be a call of obedience on your life no matter what size it is. And he's asking, will you obey? Will you obey with this small thing? And if you're obedient with these small things, I'm going to start giving you more things. And watch what I can do. Watch how you're going to grow. Watch how much more amazing your life is going to be because of it. You will never see the things of God until you submit to him and obey. And we can learn from Joseph that being in God's will calls for obedience. The next one is that being in God's will may not bring the spotlight. It's going to be a hard one for our culture especially. We love being in the spotlight. We love documenting everything about it. There's this new app out. I'm trying to think of what it's called. I'm a teacher, so all the apps. But there's one where it literally 
the students um, have to take a picture, like it pops up this little thing at a random time in the day and they have to stop and take a picture of themselves. Be real, yes, that's the new one, that's all their age. So let me tell you, when there's a bunch of dings in your classroom and there's kids over there like, you know, you know, they have to be real in the moment and they want that spotlight. They want everyone to see what they're doing, okay? Um, Joseph did all God asked him to, but after Jesus was 12, we don't hear anything more about him. If you're looking for fame or fortune, being in God's will is not for you. If you want the spotlight and attention, being in God's will is not for you. But if you want to be used by the creator of the world, follow and obey God. If you want to see the king of kings use you to make a difference in this world, give yourself to God. And then you won't need that spotlight that you so craved. God's will is about him and not us. God used Joseph to bring glory to himself. God's not looking to make you or me a star. He wants to bring glory to himself and to the people of heaven and people to heaven. Don't follow God to see what you can get out of it. Follow God to see what he can get out of it. Let's just follow God and point to him as the only one worthy of all glory and honor. Just like he called Joseph, God calls people to him. Tim Keller said this about Joseph. Everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know that Mary was already pregnant, and that would mean either her and Joseph had had relations before marriage, or she was unfaithful to him as a result, and they're going to be shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. They're going to be second-class citizens forever. Joseph would be a pariah among his own people. He would bear the shame for sins or perceived sins he didn't commit. Doesn't this foreshadow Jesus? The shame that Jesus would bear on behalf of Joseph and Mary and all who knew Jesus. So Joseph bore the shame and the stigma of this moment so that the baby that was about to be born could bear the shame and the stigma of Joseph and Mary and the sins of the world. That really got me that he used, it's like a a cinematic moment when you see, oh, this is foreshadowing. Everything that happened to Joseph was like, here's what's going to happen to Jesus. So this morning, I want you to close your eyes and we're just, I'm going to talk through some questions and I want you to think about it and prayerfully chat with God about these things. Maybe... God's calling you to go deeper in your relationship with him. Maybe you're like I was. You've been in the church for a long time. You come on Sundays. You do the things, but you're not growing. Is there something in in your life where you know that he's been laying on your heart where you need to step up and be obedient? What is that thing? Ask God, Lord, what is that thing that you've put on my heart? What is it? Maybe I'm not seeing it. Because, God, I want relationship with you. I want to go deeper. And maybe he brought you to a crisis or a crisis of belief where you just need to trust him. Maybe that bomb just dropped on your life. Maybe somebody's really sick in your family. Maybe you're married. 
help them to answer that call.